at this time, um, we have a special, so you may be seated. Cheryl is going to come sing for us. I'm going to try to sing this. <laughs> My brother died 44 years ago on this date, and this was his favorite song. And at the same time, my daughter was born in the evening, so it's a double date that you think about sometimes. So.
Praise the Lord. And before we get into the lesson this morning, there is one more announcement that I want to make. It actually is in your bulletin. It's kind of a footnote here in the bulletin. But uh, on the 16th of July, uh, after the morning service, I want to gather everybody that we can in the service out front so we can take a picture of everybody in the congregation. The reason we're doing this is I want to put it on our web page, amen? I want to put a picture of you out there as a whole church and uh, show everybody how much fun and, and joy that we can have as a church and, and just uh, enjoy ourselves, amen? So come dressed in your finest goods and, and duds next Sunday, amen? And uh, we'll get together and, and uh, have a picture uh, taken and... Uh, Hopefully it'll be one that we can actually put on the webpage and uh, show people who we are, amen, and uh, share it with, with the folks there. Good to have our visitors with us today, too. Amen. If you've not come by and given them a right hand of fellowship, if you would, please make sure you do that before the end of our services today. All right. Uh, we'd like to ask you, if you would now, take the Word of God and turn with us to First um, uh, Kings chapter 18, First Kings chapter 18. First Kings chapter 18. That's in the Old Testament, right before Second Kings. <laughs> First Kings chapter 18. And we're going to begin reading there in verse 17. So I'm going to ask you if you would please stand as we read the word of the Lord. beginning in verse 17 of chapter 18, the Word of God states, And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at, at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel, and gathered the prophets together into Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people, and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord uh, be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. 
but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on, on wood, and put no fire under, and I will dress the other bullock, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under. And call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves, and dress it first, for ye are many, and call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under. And they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry loud, for he is a god. Either he is talking or he is pursuing or he is on a journey or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lances till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when midday was past, and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that there was neither voice nor any to answer nor any that regarded. And Elijah said unto the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in, the, uh, in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on wood and said, uh, Fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, Do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, Do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran round about the altar, and he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is the God. And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we've had to, Lord, just to praise you in song and, and, and in prayer. We praise you, Lord, today in every aspect of our service and ask you, Lord, to 
Help us, Lord, to be forgiven of our failures and, Lord, the things that we may have done this week against Thee. And we ask You, Lord, to expose those to us that we might get those things right, Lord, that we might stand astray a, a and a right for You. And, Lord, be the holy ones that we're supposed to be. Father, help us, Lord, through this lesson today to sanctify our own selves, Lord, to, to come to a place and a point in our lives that we're ready to serve you and, Lord, to honor you. And then, Father, we ask that once again that you might take charge, have your will and your way in all these things that are said and done today. And we ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and for his sake alone. Amen. All right, you may be seated today. I want to speak to you this morning on the simple subject of the challenge on Mount Carmel, and I've subtitled it, Where Has the Fire Gone? Where Has the Fire Gone? The Holy Spirit certainly led the writer here in 1 Kings to give us a vivid and dramatic uh, record of Elijah's great challenge there on Mount Carmel. He is there in the presence of Ahab. There are 450 prophets of Baal, and he feels as though, and honestly, I believe his statement to be true, that he is the only prophet of God that is left there in Israel. And these 400 prophets of the groves and the company of people from all Israel as well. So there was not just 450 prophets of Baal. There were also another 400 prophets there as well. So 850 prophets versus one prophet. The question here that he poses to the people there and to the uh, king, King Ahab, and to those prophets of Baal and the other prophets, is Baal the real God or is Jehovah the true God? And is Elijah his servant? No one uh, there present in that day after uh, the things that God performed had any doubt as to the answer to that question. When the fire of the Lord fell, the answer was given. Amen? The answer was given to them that the Lord, Jehovah, He is God. And there is no other God other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lord Jehovah. And so there are some lessons in this incident that uh, I think continue and abide even until this day. And we want to look at those in just a moment. But before we do, in kind of a, a way of an introduction, I want to share some other things with you. Uh, as we look into the Word of God, there are 506 times the word fire is referenced in the Word of God. Out of those 506 times, that you can categorize those basically in three different categories. The first one is that the fire consumes. If you will take your Bible and turn with us, holding your place where our Scripture is, and turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 9. Deuteronomy chapter 9. As we talk about the fire consuming. Deuteronomy chapter 9, and let's look down to verse 3. Verse 3 said, Understand therefore this day that the Lord thy God is he which goeth over before thee as a consuming fire. He shall destroy them, and he shall bring them down before thy face. So shalt thou drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord hath said unto thee. So he tells us here that God is a consuming fire. 
And so this is the first type that you see that a fire, that fire consumes in the Word of God. And when something is consumed, it is taken up completely. There is nothing left of it. The next thing that we find about the Word of God in the word fire is the word cleanses. Not only does fire consume, but it also cleanses. Take your Bible now and turn over to Luke's Gospel, chapter 3. Luke, chapter 3. And we're going to look down to a couple of verses there. Verse 16 and verse 17. Luke chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. And this is John speaking. John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. And many other things in his exhortation preached he unto the people." Here we see the fire is referenced as a cleansing or a purging. A purging is always speaking of a cleansing, a cleaning out, if you will. And so fire is referenced as something that consumes. Fire is referenced as something that cleanses. And then thirdly, you'll find that it is something that condemns. Something that condemns. Take now the Word of God and turn with us to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. Matthew, chapter 7. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, let's look down to verse 19. Fire consumes, fire cleanses, and fire condemns. In verse 19 of chapter 7, the Word of God states, Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. There's a condemnation here. The condemnation is that the tree did not produce any fruit. Uh, this past year, I pulled up two trees that I had bought uh, in Virginia uh, a year and a half before that. And I put those trees in the ground. One was an apple tree and one was a plum tree. My wife loves plums. And so I wanted to plant her a plum tree so that eventually we could have some plums. And uh, because of deer and because of weather, those trees did not make it. And so I went out there and I pulled those trees up by the root and tossed them on the fire heap, ready to be burned. So there is a condemnation here to each and every one of us that if we are not producing the fruit that God asks us to, He will pull us up, dear friends, and put us on the fire heap. And God wants us to understand these three things. Now also, take your Bible and turn to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. In Revelation chapter 21, I want us to look over at verse 8. These are some of the closing remarks that the Lord gives us in His Word. Verse 8 of chapter 21 states this, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. 
That's where condemnation takes you. So you see, fire represents three different things in the Word of God. You'll find over in Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 20, the Bible tells us there that, uh, that wood cannot be burned. I'm just paraphrasing it. Wood cannot be burned without fire. Has to have the fire there. Has to have something to ignite it, to get it going. Uh, we need today, I believe, spiritual fire in our churches. And I'm afraid that today in most of our churches across America, that spiritual fire has gone out or it has been quenched. Now, we'll never have great revivals like we used to have years ago. We'll never see great awakenings of the church like we have in time past until the fire is brought back into the church house, until the fire is brought back into your own spiritual souls, and you get on fire for God. Amen? Amen. And I'm not talking about a charismatic move. I'm talking about a spiritual move of God within each and every one of us and our hearts. Uh, if you go into the New Testament and you remember the story about Paul when he was shipwrecked on uh, the Isle of Miletus and there they got together after they had been shipwrecked. They got on the sands. They were cold and so they needed a fire being built and uh, they got the fire built and as the fire was burning all of a sudden here come some vipers up and one grabbed a hold of Paul and he shook that thing off and what did he do with it? He threw it into the fire. I believe today, dear friends, we need to throw some wood on the fire. Amen? Amen? To be able to keep the fire burning. And that's partly my job, but it's also partly your job as well. It is my job to bring the message to you, to encourage you, to, to enlighten you and strengthen you. But it is also your job to take that fire then and to keep it burning. Amen? Uh, I might get fired up and I stand behind this pulpit and I preach it fired up, but then I don't want it to be consumed once it gets out here to you. I want you to take that fire then and go out and pass it on. Uh, you know, there's really no such thing as cavemen, but if there was a thing called cavemen and they took the fire and when they actually had a fire, they would run then to the next camp over and they would take that fire and pass it on to them, you know. Now... The same thing goes in our world today. If we can light a little bit of a fire here in our church, then why cannot we keep that fire burning and move it on to someone else and keep the fire burning and keep the fire burning in our community so that the fire and the power of God can be manifested here and the great strength can come out of it as God desires. There are lost people dying and going to hell in our community. There are lost people dying and going to hell in your families, dear friends. And the only way they're going to be saved is for us to make sure that the fire is here in our church and to make sure that the fire is taken out of our church and taken out to those people and it falls upon them as well. That cleansing fire. These three types of fire. We have a duty. We have a duty to take the fire out, but we also find that there's a danger. That if there is no wood and if the, if the fire begins to go out then, the danger is that when that fire goes out, it does not continue on. So we see the duty, we see the danger, and, and in that danger we find sometimes in our churches that, that fire is cold. The fire embers have begun to get so low that there's not much heat left within them. And then we find that the love of the church is, has grown cold. When the fire grows out, the love of the church begins to get cold as well. That's why God tells the church at Laodicea, you're neither hot nor cold and I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. You're now just lukewarm. 
We find the joy. When the fire goes out in the church, the joy goes out. And it's gone. The grace becomes cold. The mercy of God becomes cold. The thoughtfulness becomes cold. The kindness toward each other has become cold. The testimonies become cold. The worship becomes cold. And praising God becomes cold. If we let the fire go out. And I'm afraid that there has been so many churches and so many Christians in our world today that have let the fire go out or it's almost out. I hope and pray that we're not falling in that category. I hope and pray that we never fall in that category, that the fire begins to go out. I think it was actually touched on a little bit this morning in our Sunday school lesson. Brother Tony brought it out. That we need to catch this, this excitement. That we need to catch this, this blessing from God that He's given unto us. That it's not just my job to be on fire, but it's your job to be on fire also. So that in discipleship then that we can go out and we can let that fire move on to the next person and the next person and help that person then to grow and to be encouraged and, and then they then pass that fire on to someone else. I mean, how, how do we know tonight that if the fire keeps on burning here in our church that some of these young men or women might grow up one day and become missionaries for the Lord? That one of these young men in here might be called on by God to preach. You say, uh, Pastor Tim, I don't want my child to be a preacher. Well, why not? It's one of the great blessings that God can give into us. One of the greatest things that God can call you into. And it would, be, it would bless my heart and bless my soul if I would see one of these young men do that. Or one of these young ladies step up to me and say, Pastor, uh, do you have any information on missions? I would love to go into the mission field and become a missionary because God has called me to do this. It will not happen, dear friends, unless the fire is still alive and the fire is still burning. So we talk about fire. And then we come back to our story in the Old Testament by a prophet by the name of Elijah. Poor old Elijah. <laughs> uh, Elijah. I, I, wasn't there a song years ago that said something about Elijah? Uh, old Oak Elijah or something like that. He was an Indian or something like that. Poor old Elijah. <laughs> yeah, I go back to some of my old thoughts then. Elijah, this prophet, this great prophet of God, who sometimes even doubted God himself. But this was not one of the times that he doubted God. Elijah goes, and, the, and you know the story as we read it, that Elijah goes before these, before the king Ahab, and he goes before these 450 prophets of Baal, the other 400 prophets that were there, and he basically tells them, and the king comes to him, Ahab does, and says, it's, it's your fault, you've not done your job. And uh, Elijah turns right back around and says, Oh no, dear king, it is not my fault. It is your fault because you have served other gods. You've disobeyed God. You've went against God in every way you can. And I am the only prophet of God left in Israel while there are 450 prophets now that have turned and went to the worship of Baal and 400 others that are on the fence. Imagine that. I think the greatest need in our churches today is not money, even though we need money. It's not machinery. It's not new methods or 
bring in old methods, but it's what the people here needed. They needed to know who God was. And they needed to know who Elijah was, that Elijah was and is the prophet of God. And that God is God, amen? That there is no such thing as Baal, that Baal has no power, no ability, no structure, no form, no fashion, that he has none of these abilities or thoughts. He is unable to bring and make things happen. Only our God can do that, dear friends. Only the powerful God that we serve. And Elijah knew that. And so he needed to have evidence then. You know, a lot of people are looking for evidence today. Well, I can't believe in God until I see evidence of God. Well, here's evidence of God. Here's evidence of an almighty, all-powerful creator bringing something and making something happen that had never happened before and making it happen in such a way where they had no idea that it was the prophets of Baal that they knew undoubtedly that it was God and God alone. How? How can we obtain this fire? How can we come to the place where we can do what Elijah did? Well, verse 38 states, Then the fire fell, or the fire of the Lord fell. As we look at the antecedents of this, then it is clear that the fire of God can only fall when certain requirements are met. And I believe today that's why fire is not in our churches today. I believe it's not the reason why that our individual Christians and our churches are not on fire for the Lord like they used to be. I mean, get on fire for God and, and start doing something around the church. Amen? I mean, it's not just certain people who have certain jobs that are supposed to do those jobs, but we're to get on fire for God, and when we see something that needs to be done, we do it. Amen? We have gotten so accustomed to forms and fashions. We've gotten so accustomed to boards and, and, and groups of people that we think that they're the only ones that can do things. But listen, dear friend, if I walk into the church and I see a piece of paper laying on the floor, I'm not going to walk past that piece of paper. If I see bubble gum or chewing wrapper in the pew, I'm not going to walk past that. I'm going to pick it up. Amen. Why? Because you're the preacher? No, because I know it's everybody's job to do that. It's not just one person's job or a certain group's job. It's all of our job, dear friend, to work for the Lord. This is God's house, but I'm not just talking about inside the house of God. I'm talking about the fire that needs to burn on the outside of the house of God as well. I'm not talking necessarily about the yards and upkeeping and all those things. I'm talking about the upkeep of God's people out here. And the upkeep of the things that needs to be accomplished for the Lord. So, how? How did it happen and when did it happen? Well, the only time that it actually happened, it was when the altar was repaired. <laughs> it's so funny in this story because the prophets of Baal, they, they pray for, you know, from morning until noon. And they are praying, they're screaming, they're hollering. Uh, God, Baal, Baal, God, whatever they said, please do this for us. And then they got upset because it wasn't happening. So what did they do? They thought something must have been wrong with the altar, evidently, because they went out there and all of them started jumping up and down on the altar. 
and they broke the altar down. And then after they broke the altar down, then there was another time frame that they waited and they waited and they waited. And then they, they did something else that a lot of people do today. They took knives and staves and they began to cut themselves. Oh, oh, Baal, if you're real, oh, if you're really who you are, light this thing on fire. We'll cut ourselves so that we can prove that you're God. How ludicrous. How silly and stupid is that, friends? And in our world today, we have people that they are so led astray that they will take things and they'll harm their own bodies. Say, preacher, do they do it with knives? Sometimes. We once had a member of our church in Roanoke, uh, Virginia, that um, she would take a knife and she would cut her arms. And she'd bleed. And they'd heal up. She'd pick at them as they were healing, and they'd bleed again. I witnessed to that girl many, many times. My wife witnessed to her many times and other people in the church witnessed to her. That girl is, is dead today. Uh, we were told she got saved, but I'm not quite sure if she did or not. I was at her funeral. I didn't preach her funeral, but I was at her funeral. And the feeling I got and the understanding that I got was her salvation was not real. And how sad it is that now she might be in a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth where she'll be picking at her sores for the rest of eternity. How sad. And these 450 prophets of Baal, after breaking down the altar and after cutting themselves, nothing still happened. And by this time, Elijah, <laughs> he had gotten a little comical, you know. And he was standing there kind of laughing at them. I can just kind of picture him leaning up against a tree watching these things happen and talking to God the whole time saying, God, how much of a fool that they're becoming to themselves. And then Elijah calls all the people. Hey, hey, y'all. <laughs> hey, y'all been watching them prophets of Baal? Come over here. Y'all, come on. Come on, let's go. Come over here and watch. And all of a sudden, the crowd starts coming, and they come over to Elijah. And what does Elijah do? Elijah, well, he prays. He's, he's going to do this in a minute, but he does something else. He goes over to the altar, and he starts rebuilding it. And then he does something that's very important to Israel. He takes the 12 stones, each one representing a tribe of Israel. There's 12 tribes of Israel. And, he, and this was to remind Israel that God is the God of Israel and always will be. But not only is He the God of Israel, he is, he is the God of all those that will put their faith and their commitment and their trust in Him. Amen? Amen. And He takes those 12 stones and he, he lays them out accordingly and builds them up and puts the wood on the altar. And then He takes that, that bullock. Remember the bullock? There was supposed to be two of them. And He told them to... The, the uh, prophets of Baal to come in pieces and he takes his bullock now and he takes it and he puts it on the altar and then when he puts it on the altar you would think then he would go get the fire, right? 
But no, he's told the prophets of Baal, don't put no fire on it. He's not going to put no fire on it neither. And so now he comes and he says to the servants that are out there and the others that are around, he said, I want you to get a big old barrel of water. Water? What do we need water for a, for a, a burnt offering for? Oh, he takes the water and he pour, they have him to pour it on it. And then he says, that's not enough. I want you to go back and get another one. I mean, fill it to the brim with water. And he takes that thing and he pours it out on that fire again. That's the second one. Ain't enough. It's not enough. Let's go get another one. And they get another barrel of water. And they bring that barrel of water the third time and pour it on that altar. The stones are wet. The wood is wet. The animal is wet now. The ground is wet around it. And then he says... Let's fill the trench up around it. By the way, remember he did dig a trench around it. And he filled that trench up that caught all the water that drained down and what was left. And then what did he do? As the altar was repaired, then he goes and the sacrifice is offered and the water is poured. The next thing he does is he prays. He prays. And as he prays, then God sends down fire from heaven. And when the fire from heaven came down, not only did it burn the sacrifice, not only did it burn the twigs and the sticks that were there, but the Bible said that it was so hot that it burnt and consumed the stones that were there. And then it was so hot that it licked up the water that was there and it immediately is gone. Nothing but a dry piece of ground sitting in front of them that's on fire. Oh, dear friends, would it be so good and so blessed and so gracious if God could send the fire into our house just like that? Amen. The people get on fire for the Lord. You say, preacher, did it happen there? Why, sure it did. What happened immediately after they got through seeing what God had done with Elijah and for Elijah? They said, oh, we know now who God is. Now, let me ask you this question. Why does it take something great like that for God to prove himself to us? Why can we not just see God in the simple little things? In the birds that are flying out here in the, in the sky and land on the tree and can pick a little ant off that limb that's crawling because that little bird saw that ant from the sky 10 or 12 feet up and saw that little ant and comes down and gets that thing and puts it in his mouth and eats it. You say, oh, that's Mother Nature. Let me tell you something, dear friends. There's no such thing as Mother Nature. Amen? It's only God. God is the creator of our world. God is the creator of our universe. God is the one who put the stars in the sky. God is the one who done all this, dear friends. And God is also the one who brought that fire down that day. Elijah didn't do it. And if you're waiting for me to bring the fire into this church, you're wrong, dear friends, because God didn't send me here to bring the fire. God sent me here to keep the fire moving. We must pray for the fire to come. And you must pray for the fire to come. And you must get on fire yourself. I'm excited. 
You know, I'm excited, and I am on fire. But sometimes, dear friends, my fire begins to dwindle just like yours does. And that's why I need each and every one of you praying for me, lifting me up and encouraging me that, that my fire stays on fire, amen, that it stays hot, that we stay excited for the Lord. But I also pray for you that same way every single day. You know, I made a list out of all the members and visitors that have come here in the last few years and I'm going to start doing some visiting out there to be ready for a knock on your doors. It may not be this year, but it may be next year when I finally get there. But listen, dear friends, be ready for a knock on your door because I'm coming. <laughs> and I'm not going to be like Santa Claus and, and come down the chimney. <laughs> I'm going to come to your front door, your side door, and knock on the door and say, I'm here, you know. But I want you to get on fire. Where has the fire gone? See, that's the question today. Where has it gone? The fire should never leave the pulpit. The fire should never leave the congregation. It should never leave the individuals in your prayer life, in your Bible study. The fire should never go out. But what happens is the fire gets convoluted by the world and the things of the world. And when that happens, it begins to snuff that fire out. Instead of causing it to get bigger and grow stronger, it snuffs it out. I'll I'll show you something else here in that scripture there in the Old Testament that's interesting. The fire and the water both represent the Holy Spirit. And you find God sending this, this blessing into the world there. This blessing into the world that would show the people who God is. That God is the creator. And that God is in charge. And if God not only can send fire to burn a, uh, uh, an offering that is soaked and sloppy wet with water. That God can also take care of us that God can lead us forward, that God can do great things with us and through us. As I said earlier, there may be someone in this congregation that God has been talking to even recently about doing something for Him. Maybe not to be a preacher. Maybe not to be an evangelist. Maybe not to be a missionary or a pastor. But simply a good church member. To be faithful to God, to honor God to be in the house of God when the doors are open, to honor Him in that, and to do what God simply has asked us to do. You know, God is actually only asking us for our reasonable service, as He says in the New Testament. What is reasonable for us to do? And so I ask you this question again, dear friends. Where has the fire gone? Has it gone out? Is it still there? Maybe, is there just still a little bit of an ember there that's burning just a little bit? My hope and my prayer is that if it's down to that point, friends, let's stoke the fire, amen? Let's do as, uh, as Paul did there in the New Testament. Let's get some wood and throw some wood on the fire. And if the vipers come, let's take that viper. And their viper represents the devil. Their viper represents all people that are against godly things. Take that viper and sling him off into the fire. And you know what? That viper's bite won't bother us a bit. Because we'll be on fire for the Lord. And that poison can't get into our veins. Amen. You know, there's a lot of poison out here in our world today. 
a lot of poison that when we leave here, the devil uses to infiltrate your minds and your thoughts. Let's shake the poison off, amen? Let's cast it into the fire and let it be burned up. Let it be consumed by the all-consuming God. And let us then move forward and have the right motive for our service. And when we do that, dear friends, we can honor God. And I'm going to close this message today. If you would take your Bible and turn to Isaiah chapter 4. Isaiah chapter 4. In Isaiah chapter 4, I want us to look down to verse uh, 3. The Word of God states in verse 3, And it shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion and he that remaineth in Jerusalem shall be called holy, even everyone that is written among the living in Jerusalem. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. And the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies a cloud, of, a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night for upon all the glory shall be a defense. Oh, dear friends, I long for the day when our churches can be places where when people pass by, they see a cloud of smoke above our church, a cloud of smoke above you. By night, they see a fire, a column of fire, because they know that God is with you and that God is with us wherever we go, whatever we do, Whatever thought process we have, that God is there and He knows it and He thinks it, He sees it. Wouldn't it be good if we just had the thoughts of God all the time and honored Him? That we're led by the fire, we're led by the smoke, and we move forward for God and we honor Him. Look around you. Do you see any empty pews in this church? Tell me that, do you? If you do, say yes. Would you like to fill those pews? I would too. Amen. Now we can get out there and we can do this if we just get on fire. And I'm asking you to get on fire for God. Amen. I want to stay on fire. I came here and I hit the ground running. I want to keep on running. Amen. I'm not running from something. I'm running to something, dear friends. I run into my Lord, my Savior, Jesus Christ. And we need to make sure that we're running forward for the Lord and staying on fire for Him. You think about that as all heads bowed and eyes are closed. Pianist is coming and the song director is coming. I want you to think about the thought of being on fire. Not you personally being burnt up but you yourself being on fire for God, having a zeal and an earnest spirit for the Lord and for the things that God has prepared. We're here today not by chance. We're here today because God has led us this way to this building at this time to hear this message today. 
And this message is for someone in this building today. If it's for no one else, it's for me. But I can promise you it's for others in this building today. And I'm asking you to step forward. Preacher, I want to get on fire. Preacher, I want to stay on fire. Preacher, I'm going to pray. That's when the fire fell. Remember when, when Elijah prayed after he had built the altar. Now, we're trying to build the altar, friends, but we've got to make sure that we pray. So I'm asking you to come today and pray unto the Lord and say, God, I want the fire back. I want the fire for the first time. I want to be on fire for the Lord. I want to do for God. Will you come? Will you come, dear friends, as the first note is being played, as the first song will be sung in just a few moments? I want you to come. Whatever that is, that, that answer to that question, will you get up out of your pews right now and will you come forward? Maybe it's for salvation today. You can't be on fire for the Lord if you've never had the opportunity to be ignited. And God's asking you to come now. He's asking you to follow Him in truth and in wisdom. He's asking you now, will you come? Will you come today? Preacher, I want to get on fire. Come on. Come on, dear friends. Young people, you don't have to sit back there in the pews. If God's calling you to get on fire, come on up to this altar and you pray and tell God, I want to get on fire. You come on, all of you, the young, the middle-aged, all of us. How about it, friend? Will you come today? How about it? We'll ask you if you would look this way. Sister Heather is coming. You're going to begin to sing. I don't want this to stop you from coming. I want it to help you, to encourage you, to give you an opportunity. There's still a little bit of time today. You see, you could come to this altar today and pray and ask the Lord to get you back on fire or to get you on fire for Him. And you could go out of this church today and never have a chance to do that. But at least you've made it right with God. At least you've told God what your heart is. Will you come? Don't be a prophet of Baal sitting out there. Don't be a prophet of Baal that looks to other gods and things in our world to bring you that fire, to bring you that satisfaction. You come to the altar of God, the God that built this place, dear friends, the God that continues to live in each and every one of us that are saved. You come to that God and you say, God, I love you. God, I'm sorry, but I want the fire once again. Will you help me have that? As we sing, first stanza. Sorrow and night, Jesus, I come. 
You know, when I was a young preacher, not young anymore, I may look young to some of y'all. Thank you. <laughs> but you have to understand, I started preaching when I was 15 and a half years old. And when I was a young preacher, I'd charge the doors of hell with a matchstick. And sadly enough, I don't do that anymore. I'd love to get back to that place again. And I would love for you to be at that place with me. Amen? Because I would love to know as I march forward that I've got soldiers with me to my right and to my left and behind me and even some that are trying to outrace me and get to the front. Amen? So that we can charge the doors of hell and defeat the devil. The devil hates us. And I'm going to tell you something. I hate the devil. Amen. And let's make sure the devil doesn't get a hold of our young people. Let's make sure he doesn't get a hold of our families. Let's make sure he doesn't get a hold of our church. Because if he does that, dear friends, we have lost the battle. So let's get on fire. Amen. Well, let's have a word of prayer and be dismissed. Amen. Don't forget, uh, no business meeting tonight, but uh, next Wednesday night we'll have a uh, short called meeting to uh, discuss the lawnmower situation and the yard work and so forth. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for what you've done for us in our lives. Thank you for our salvation and the sweet peace that that salvation comes in with. Lord, I love you today, and I thank you for our church, our people here, Lord, the dedication of our congregation and, and the commitment that they give, and, Lord, the work that is done here in this place. And, Father, I ask, Lord, for the fire to stay burning. I ask, Lord, for the fire to get hotter, Lord, for us to all to get on fire, for us to realize that there is a place for us here, a thing to do and a, an option to work for you. And, Lord, help us. It, it may just be as simple as picking up something off the floor or it may be standing in for someone when they can't do their job. Oh, Father, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to get away from the, the, the pitfalls and the snares that the devil has for us out here. Help us to get away from the ideals of the world and, and get back to your scripture, get back to your truth. For we ask these things in Jesus' name for his sake alone. Amen.